Raising black children in the United States can be really scary. And as a black mother, I realized I was parenting from fear. And I wanted to make a commitment to parent for liberation. You are listening to the Parenting for Liberation podcast, and I am your host, Trina Green-Brown. Each week, I am joined by other black parents, and we discuss our own journeys to push past our fear so that we can raise our beautiful black children to be whole, free, and liberated. Wake up, everybody, no more sleeping in bed, no more backward thinking, time for thinking ahead. Hey, this is Trina with Parenting for Liberation. On this episode, we're talking to Tiara Moore. She is a mother of five and an activist who will talk to us about the national bailout Mama's Day campaign. Listen in because Mother's Day is only around the corner and you can donate to help free some black mamas. Check it out. Tiara, can you tell me how you got connected with Black Mama's Bailout? So I got connected to the Mother's Day Bailout May 11, 2018, when I was arrested um, by Las Vegas Police Department for accusations and not an actual charge. And I was actually going to a meeting and it was a listening session for um, mass liberation and they were doing the Mother's Day bailout. And they, Leslie kind of like harassed me into participating in mass lib. And I got the email about uh, mass, you know, the Mother's Day bailout. And I was actually the mother they had to come bail out. I was actually going to meetings and I was a part of like the movement before I actually um, was a mother that they needed to bail out. So I was going to listening sessions and that's how I came in contact with Mother's Day bailout through um, Mass Lib. So, um, Actually, the listening session was in like December, I want to say, because I graduated college in December and I had went to the listening session in December. And um, they sent out monthly emails. Every month after December, I got an email. The month of May, I had got the email that they were doing Mother's Day bailout. And Leslie asked if I knew any mothers that needed to be bailed out. And I was like, you know, I replied back, no. Like on the Friday before Mother's Day, and I had just went on an interview and I had got hired at Desert Orthopedics. And that was May 11th. And I had got into like a verbal altercation with this guy, an associate in my apartment. And um, the police were called, the police came, and they just ran my name and saying that, you know, I had a criminal record, you know, and they just automatically assumed, like, we're taking her to jail, like, let them figure it out in court kind of thing. She can fight it in court. Like, they really didn't want to hear what I had to say. And I'm saying, telling them nothing happened, he's lying, whatever. And they were just really being rude about it. So I was like, you know what? I'm not saying anything, whatever. And went on down to the jail. And when you get to the jail, they give you your cell phone. And I went back to that email. And I wrote down, because they let you write down three phone numbers. So Leslie's number, her cell phone number was in that email she sent. And I wrote it down. And I called my mom. I was like, call Leslie. 
and tell her that this is Tiara, this I'm the mother that she gonna have to come bail out. <laughs> and she did. She came. Um, she had but prior to her coming, they had already had like a fundraiser, so they had already collected donations and I was one of you know, I was the mother mother that they had, you know, came and got when Leslie had called, she had got my mom got the call, she called Leslie. And I told her, I said, tell her this, Tiara, and I'm the mama. She's going to have to come get it. And she just laughed because <laughs> she had just asked me the week before if I knew any mothers that needed to be bailed out. And I was like, no. And lo and behold, I was the mother. <laughs> wow. You know, the universal lining. And I also right. just think about how quick it is that we as Black folks, Black mothers, Black women, just folks with black bodies can be that quickly snatched up into the criminal penal injustice system Mm -hmm. for disagreement for a misunderstanding that happened at your own home. You know, you were taken away from your babies for how long? Um, Seven days. So I, they arrested me on Friday and I did not get out until the following Friday. So it was the first Mother's Day ever in 16 years because my daughter is, my oldest daughter is 16. So first Mother's Day in 16 years that I miss with my children. Um, very heartbreaking because mm-hmm. my kids did not know where I was at. Um, I had told my mom, I them I was on vacation, um, like make up something really qu- quickly. Um, I did not call they did not. I, I was like, I'm not calling because if they have, I call, they don't want to ask where I'm at. So I was like, I really don't feel like lying. And I just told mom, tell them I'm on vacation. My older kids kind of like, like if they did know, they really didn't say anything. Um, but for the most part, they just thought I was on vacation. Mm-hmm. First Mother's Day in 16 years um, that I had to miss with my kids. I I could have been home for Mother's Day, but they chose not to do it. Wow. Well, I do want to, and when I think about hearing you say this was the first Mother's Day that you were away from your kids in 16 years, I just want my heart breaks. Um, I just want to, just want to pause there and really hold your heart in that moment and hold your children in that moment. And also just shout out to the Mama's Day bailout. And really their effort to make sure that families aren't separated for not just for the holidays, but that that families can be reunited. Mothers and children can be together. What are the other impacts that we don't see when folks are incarcerated? Even seven days incarcerated can mean so many things. It did because, you know, my mother was, you know, she had to keep my kids and so it was like okay what are I supposed to do kind of thing do I let them stay up do I make them go to bed you know their mom not here I don't want to make them sad I don't want to you know hurt their feelings if I tell them they got to go to bed like she didn't know what to do um and we're usually on like a routine I was like none of that got done like they were late for school so it was just in a matter of seven days everything that I worked so hard all these years with a routine it went away in just seven days. But I do want to shout out grandma because I'm sure she probably did the best that she could. 
Right. Also, I know that you have recently applied for a job. So what's the impact mm-hmm. of incarceration on employment? It was rough because I had just literally got hired that morning at Desert Orthopedic. Um, I graduated medical school. I did my internship and I had started job searching, you know, job hunting. And I got the job. I got arrested Friday night. And by Monday, you know, she was waiting on me to do paperwork. She had called me, didn't get in touch with me on Monday, called Tuesday, didn't hear from me on Tuesday. Um, by the time I got out on Friday, I checked my voicemail. She had left like seven voicemails. She had sent several texts. She had emailed a few times and said, well, since she didn't hear from me, I guess she changed her mind about the position. Um, they're going to go with someone else and they hire somebody else. So when I got out, um, the job was gone. And I tried to reach out to her when I actually got out on Friday. She never responded back to any emails, texts. She didn't take my phone call or nothing like that. So I thought I was going to have a job. It was like, ah, what do I do now? So I had to go back to the drawing board, like start applying again, um, which was already hard being formally incarcerated. And you go on these interviews, you go and you do X, Y, and Z, and you check the box and you don't hear from them again. So you already know why. And, but working with um, Mother's Day, actually the Mother's Day bailout secured funding for the mothers that they had actually bailed out to have like a stipend, you know, to have money to pay like any expenses after incarceration. So I was able to um, have money to pay rent for the next month so it wouldn't be an issue until they actually helped me get a job. So they did secure me a position with um, Plan Action and I was able to work, you know, on the campaign. Yes. And that's why there's so many different campaigns and initiatives around banning the box, not making folks who were formerly incarcerated have to check the box when they apply because that eliminates their opportunities for employment. And so I hear you naming that that had an impact on you. And so just really do, again, want to shout out the bailout campaign that not only thinks about bailing folks out, but also collects resources to support folks as they are in their reentry process, um, to provide stipends, to provide supports for folks to pay their rent, the emergency support services or support services that they need to return to their families and make sure that they have what they need. Because as you just shared, incarceration not only impacts you being away, but it also impacts opportunities for employment. It could also impact housing if you can't pay your rent because you didn't work. Um, So I want you to tell me a little bit more about how you got connected to the organizing work with the bailout initiative and other campaigns. And how did you use your own experience as someone who was formerly incarcerated and impacted by the criminal justice system to then use that to motivate you to do organizing work around incarceration with the, with the bailout it actually provided not only resources um to bail people out but they had a stipend to help you to get you where you need to be and find positions for you and actually have different um resources available once you actually got out and got into the movement because again 
they bail you out, but they're not expecting you to do anything. Like they bail you out and then you decide to go on about your merry way and never look back and never say thank you, never go to court. That's a risk that they take because they don't know if you're going to show up for court and they're going to get their money back. So I was like, okay, this is an opportunity for me to really get involved and see what it is I need to do. And um, I really started learning. And I had to see that in my first case when I was 20 years old, because I could not make bail, I was more vulnerable to take a plea deal. Because they hold you in, in jail, they can force you to take a plea deal. And this time it actually made me look at it real differently. Because they bailed me out, I was able to fight free. So I was able to talk to somebody. I was able to get an attorney. I was able to have all these services to where it's like, no, you're not taking a plea deal. And I actually had people telling me different things opposed to if I'm sitting in jail and I'm worried, I'm scared, I'm nervous, I don't know what is going to happen, you're more, you're, you're more vulnerable to take a plea deal. And that was ultimately what I would have done had they not bail me out because, again, they wanted me to plead to misdemeanor or assault or something like that. And I'm like, for what? Like, you want me to plead to this, but there's no proof. There's no case. You have nothing. But what am I pleading to? And it's, it, it made me see that, you you know, the difference between being in jail and out of jail. You know, when you're bonded out, you're able to fight and you have a better chance at not taking a plea deal. And when you're inside, you're more vulnerable to take it because you want to go home. You're ready to get back to your kids. You're ready to get back to your life. You'll take it. And this time, it did not happen that way. So I was like, okay, this is what I missed the first time. So I started working with families. I started participatory defense. I started working with the National Bailout. So I just mass liberation. So I just started working and learning and trying to um, get more involved because I'm like, okay, now I see how that went the first time. I was 20 years old. I had two kids. They forced me into a plea deal because they knew I wanted to go home. They're like, well, if you plead it is, you can go home. And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know signing that little piece of paper, signing that paper to go home, I will be a convicted felon at the age of 20 years old and would never have opportunities to do anything, basically, because in the state of Illinois, violent offenses are not expungible or sealed. So I um, pled to aggravated domestic battery, which is a violent offense. So it limits you from housing. It limits you from working in nursing homes around children. Um, it just really played a really big part, even with my kids. When we would go um, for custody court, they looked at that. And it was like, <laughs> I was actually a victim. I was defending myself against somebody that tried to kill me. And y'all made me out to be a perpetrator when I was actually defending myself. So the work is really important. Um, I feel like it's what I'm supposed to be doing, helping my people, helping my community to understand the difference between being bailed, fighting for your life outside of the bars. It really makes a difference when someone bails you out and you're able to 
um, talk to an attorney. Even if you can't afford one, you can do a free consultation and they can tell you because that's what I did. I didn't have a, a lawyer to where he was paid. I did a free consultation with several different attorneys and I just gave them a scenario of what happened and they told me what to do and what to say. And I was able to actually beat it and I won and the case was dismissed. But had I not had the bailout behind me and had I not went to that meeting, I would have taken a plea deal if that would have happened. Now I get to um, do a lot more movement work and to actually see what goes on and how it really affects families because it really affected my children moving forward. It didn't just affect me. It affected my children moving forward. They have always had to um, have less than I felt because I wasn't able to secure decent jobs. I had to take less paying jobs. So I didn't have money for cheerleading. I didn't have money for football. I had to make sure we had a roof over our head and they weren't, you know, wasn't able to get into the extracurricular activities that I felt a child should get into and have, they didn't have that luxury of doing that. So they got into mischievous things and they kind of like resent me for it because they're like, well, we never played this and we never did that. and We never, you know, and it's like, I didn't have money for that. I had to make sure we had a roof, make sure we had food, clothes kind of thing. But how do you explain it to a kid that just want to be a kid? They just want to, you know, play um, cheerleading. They want to do girl stuff. And the fact that your mother can't afford to do that, she don't qualify for certain things. Um, You know, it, it was just really hard these last 14 years, so. Yeah, I want to honor all the pain and the struggle. Um, I'm thinking back to your 20-year-old self um, who was experiencing domestic violence, experiencing abuse, and had to defend yourself. And mm-hmm. how that incidence of you as a survivor defending yourself. And there are so many women, when I was at that women's prison in California, so many of them are incarcerated because they are defending themselves, protecting themselves against violence and abuse who end up incarcerated there's organizing that's happening miriam kaba has an organization called survived and punished and it's really about the folks who survived violence the the domestic violence survivors the sexual assault survivors who survived but then they were punished so you survived that abuse but were punished and how that one incidence Um, In that moment of you defending your life has had a ripple impact today on your children. And so I just really wanted to draw attention to that and really honor your 20 year old self who made the best choice that you could make in that moment. Right. Um, That the system is not set up for us as black women, black parents, black people to be able to fight for our lives, because there's a lot of narratives that like we aren't our bodies aren't worth defending. Our lives aren't worth protecting. And so because of that, your choice to defend yourself leads you to be incarcerated and punished. Um, and then I also want to honor like the yourself who was in a moment of duress and you had to make the choice. Do I go home or do I sit in this cage? And so you making the choice to plead. And so I really do want to honor the work again of the bailout because it's really about creating the space for folks to make choices from a liberated place, to be free and make the choice, to be free Mm -hmm. and have access to talk to a lawyer or to be free to be home, to make these choices, to really to have some space and not to be in a cage 
and try to make lifelong decisions in a cage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's exactly what it is. It it gives you um, a choice to where if you're you know, going to take a plea, you can get your affairs in order because you're out. If you're going to fight, you can fight from the outside and gather evidence. You can gather, you can get with some people and gather some information. Um, so it is about liberating and having a choice. Um, when I was 20, I really didn't have a choice. I didn't even know what a felony was. I didn't know what a misdemeanor was. Um, and nobody was going to explain that to me. Like my auntie, my mom, nobody knew because nobody had ever been arrested. So it was like, I'm telling my auntie, she like, well, T, I guess it's, you know, it's okay. Take it. You know, they're going to let you come home. That's all they was worried about me coming home and not the after effect. Like once I get home, what that meant. And they didn't know because they didn't know what a felony and misdemeanor was. They didn't even take the time to even ask the public defender anything like, um, you know, she get out and she took this plea, like what's going to happen. We wasn't even thinking that for our head. It was like, she needs to get out right now because she have a two year old and she have a nine month old. So we need her out so she can get her kids. And that's all that it was. And I was like, and I didn't even, it didn't dawn on me until I was like, trying to apply for jobs and this one black lady I had interviewed with someplace and she had said well we ran your background and it came back you were a felon and I was like background what is this first of all I didn't even know my social security number was linked to me being arrested because they didn't ask me (laughs) so I was like I didn't know that and I called my auntie I said auntie what does this lady mean she said she ran my background and I'm a felon she was like, yeah, when you took that plea, when you were to jail, that's what that meant. I said, well, why y'all didn't tell me that? I wouldn't have did it. And she was like, I'm like, now I can't get a job. The lady, I said, no wonder I've been going to all these places, applying, put my social security number on there. And it looked like I was lying because, again, I checked no because I didn't know that's what it was. I didn't even know it was a felony and none of that. Like, all I knew was, they told me I was on probation, that I can go home. I have to pay $450 restitution and community services. And that's how the system sets us up for these cycles, right? I think about growing up in my community and folks who were formerly incarcerated who can't get traditional employment, get involved in underground economy or finding other ways of, of resourcing themselves that then led to them being reincarcerated. And so when you mm-hmm. can't get resources, you can't have access to public housing, you can't get a job, you can't even get public support because of having a felony conviction, you're kind of like invited back into the community, but then you're not given full access. Mm-hmm. And you're not, it's like you're not, I, I really felt like they should have told me that moving forward like what that actually entailed me taking a plea deal. And I just think back like, wow, at 20 years old, that's all y'all thought of me. I had never been in trouble. I had never been arrested. Working, mother of two, had my own place. And y'all really thought that that was the best thing, outcome for me in my life moving forward as a young Black woman. Let's give her this felony. 
and it's not expungible. It's not sealed. You can't seal it and you can't expunge it. Okay, now what am I do? So I got into trouble. I started, you know, kept getting into um, getting arrested for retail theft because I couldn't work. So now I can't, you know, buy clothes. Anything over $150 in the state of Illinois is a felony. So I ended up getting multiple felonies in because I kept getting arrested for retail theft. I was like, I can't keep doing this either. And, um, you know, retail theft, they really don't care. They don't take you to jail for that. They just give you a ticket. You got to go to court. They give you a fine and say you got to pay X, Y, and Z, but you got a felony. So the more felonies you accumulate, the more they know you're not going to get jobs. They're like, let her keep on going to jail. Let her keep on doing it because the more felonies she accumulates, she ain't going to be able to get a job. She won't be able to do anything. She won't be able to, and they knew that moving forward. So and they know like, that. And they know that eventually <laughs> end up with so many felonies that you end up with longer-term sentences. And it mm-hmm. just shows that the criminal justice, criminal injustice system is big business, right? Like they make so right. much profit off of the recidivism rates increasing. They make profit. They make money. The more people go into jail, they make more money off of the labor. Um, it's a full industry. And so mm-hmm. that is the goal. It's not about not having you have access to jobs. It's about there are no jobs because you'll end up in prison because, you know, the criminal justice system in prison is just a form of modern day slavery. Your case sounds so similar to um, a very public case similar to yours, which is the Marissa Alexander case that happened um, between 2013, 2017. Um, and this was a black woman who was arrested for firing a warning shot um, to defend herself from her abusive husband. Um, and there was so much campaigning and organizing that happened around Free Marissa. So folks are interested in learning about that campaign and also the Love and Protect campaign. Just again, that work that's being done nationwide that's really about supporting folks who are survivors of violence who have fought back to be able to still be survivors and not to be punished for surviving. Um, and so similar to to Marissa Alexander, who now you know has an organization and is doing work to really fight the criminal injustice system, um, really fighting to end uh, mass incarceration, really using her personal experience to raise awareness and to advocate for folks. I know I heard you saying that if your 20-year-old self had known, if they had shared the information about what the impact of that choice would have been on your life, um, you would have made a different decision. So how are you using your voice? How are you using your experience to not to educate other folks to raise awareness about the decisions that folks are making, these life decisions that folks are making while under duress. Um, how are you using your voice to do that? And then also, how are you involving your children? How do you talk to your children about this issue now? Yeah, so they go, and when they actually heard me speak for the first time, it was like, wow. And I was like really nervous because it was a first time ever hearing me actually speak. Um, we had talked about it, but they had never heard me. And then we go to different rallies they have on their shirt because they're going to feel real special and important. They go and they phone bank, talk to people in regards to criminal justice reform and, you know, dealing with working with directly impacted people. 
And I'd be like, you do know your mom is like a survivor, right? You have to make sure you let people know that, that she's a survivor. The more I tell my story, it actually encourages other people to actually get involved and not be ashamed, not be afraid. Because a lot of people I meet, women especially, they're ashamed to tell their story. The more I get people to tell their story and, you know, start advocating, getting out in the community, helping, um, like finding different resources like participatory defense is something I'm working on. Um, restore your vote. I have a letter writing campaign that I do, and that's where I reach out to women that are actually incarcerated, and I write these women um, and let them know about the resources that are available when they come out. Um, what I noticed when I went to Tulsa, reentry looks different in every state. They have different resources in every state. Every state is doing something different, and um, I needed our sisters and our brothers to be connected and have their families connected to these resources so when they come out, they can be successful. Actually getting in touch with the families of incarcerated people to get them, you know, and, hey, this is available. You might want to start looking into this. So when they get out, they already have like a roadmap to recovery. They can automatically come out, know where to go, who to go to, so they can be successful. I really want to appreciate you for and honor you and your leadership for making your tragedy into a triumph and the experience that you had utilizing that to then give back to other folks, to raise the awareness, to really fight against the injustice that you experienced by supporting other folks who are incarcerated, families that are currently incarcerated, um, and really just raising the awareness and using your voice. So really want to honor that and also just appreciate the way that you invite your children to be a part of that. Um, really, this work, Parenting for Liberation, is about fighting for our own liberation and healing as parents and also involving our young people, our children in the fight. I feel like we are raising a generation of young people who will help us to abolish the criminal justice system. You know, we are raising the next generation of social justice warriors, of our leaders. And so involving them now in your work by having them to see the humanity of those who are incarcerated and to see where the injustices lie within our system just prepares them even more for the work ahead. So I really appreciate that and really honor you as a parent who is fighting for your own liberation, the liberation of our black children and the liberation of all folks who are locked in cages. Um, do you want to share where folks can find out more information about the work that you're doing or the Mama's um, Day bailout campaign? So the Mother's Day um, bailout is, the, you know, if you type in Mama's Day, it's M-A-M-A, um, ask Mama's Day bailout. Um, it pops up on the internet. Um, if you go on Facebook, you'll see Tiara's letter writing campaign. Restore Your Vote is another organization and campaign that I have on Facebook. And that's learning um, how to restore your voting rights, um, knowing if your voter rights were taken or not, because every state is different when it pertains to, you know, voter rights. 
Um, Mass Liberation is actually on Facebook as well. I will link to all that stuff um, on this podcast, on the website. I just, again, really want to appreciate you for all the work that you do. And thank you for joining us on Parenting for Liberation. Thank you. And thank you for having me. It was nice talking to you. Nice to meet you. I hope something shared on this episode will inspire you to parent for liberation. Thank you for listening to this episode of Parenting for Liberation. Please like us on all social media at Parenting for Liberation. We'd love to hear from you how you are Parenting for Liberation. Feel free to comment, like, tag using the hashtag Liberated Parenting. Feel free to DM or email us at parentingforliberation at gmail.com with any questions, topics, or if you'd like to be interviewed for the podcast. All right. Until next time, let's get free, y'all.